It's time for another straightforward discussion based upon a section of the greatest seller of all time. Our Truth Encounter teacher is Dr. Dave Wurtzen, and let's turn with him to the fifth book of the Old Testament, chapter 31, for our study titled, The Unforgettable. Have some of you parents ever worried about your kids' tendency to forget the important things you tell them? Join us for the next few minutes and let's discover how to get even our kids to remember. How in the world are you going to get people to remember? Well, there's a very, very powerful way, and it's a way that often is taken for granted in our culture. For example, if you go down here to the Adolphus Hotel in downtown Dallas, and you ride up in the elevator, you'll probably have music in the elevator. Most of you probably aren't even aware of it, but the music is going. When you walk into Target and you're shopping, what's in the background? Music is in the background. If, if you younger girls go into a real hip shop, they have a certain kind of music. If you go into one of the older ladies' shop, they have a whole lot different style of music. Why? Underneath our lives, there's always that music. In fact, music so pervades our society that it's kind of always there and we're always taking it for granted. Don't take it for granted. And I want to show you why. Because music is powerful in communicating to us and helping us to remember. I'm going to show you something about music, okay? And I'll also be able to determine exactly how old you are, okay? How many roads must a man walk down? Sing it with me. Before you call him a man. Yes, and how many seas must the white dove sail before he sleeps in the sand? Now you know it. The answer, my everybody, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. Now here we go. Where have all the flowers gone? A long time passing. Where have all the flowers gone? Long time ago. Where have all the flowers gone? Gone to graveyards, everyone. When will they ever learn? When will they ever learn? What is it? Those are protest songs from the 60s. And that's why the younger generation from the next generation, that's going like this. But I noticed that all the people from my generation just joined right in and singing. You know why? Because music is like a hypodermic needle. It drives a message into your soul. When Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Bob Dylan, and all those groups of the 60s were singing those songs, they were driving messages into our society. The way to get people to remember is with the song. I want you to open your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 31 and 32, because Moses realized that the people needed a song in order for them to remember. And what he's going to do in our lesson today is he drives home the entire lesson of the book of Deuteronomy to us in a song. As we open up to Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses talks to us about how you get people to remember. 
And we closed the last time we were teaching together with Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 9. Remember this setting? Moses is giving his last declaration to the people. And it says in verse 9 that Moses wrote down this law. That would be the law that we have recorded in our scripture. And he gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. I want you to see that Moses takes the writing of Deuteronomy and he takes the Torah very seriously. He's very concerned that the people remember what he has written to them. And how do you help people to do that? One of the ways you do is you write it in a book and then you sing it to them in a song. Moses begins by recording everything that he's communicated to the people orally He now writes it down and he places it in the care of the leaders of the community. The priests are going to be responsible down through the centuries of Israelite existence. They're going to be responsible for walking out among the people and teaching the people. The elders are the wise, wise men, the older wise men in the group that are responsible in, in making sure that this nation builds itself upon the holy word of God. So we have in the beginning of this section, we have Moses entrusting the word of God to the leadership. Moses doesn't believe that just Dave Wurtson and just other elders and deacons need to have the word of God. It needs to be not only the leaders of our church that are daily in the scripture, daily reading it, it also needs to be the entire congregation. Look what Moses says under the direction of God in verse 10. Then Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, in the year of the canceling of debts, during the Feast of Tabernacles, when all of Israel comes to appear before the Lord. How many of Israel, verse 11? Tell me. All of Israel. All of Israel is to gather before the Lord at the place that he will choose. And then you shall what? You shall read the law. That's what I'm doing to you now. What we do every Sunday is we read the instructions of God. The word law in Hebrew means to point out the way. Every single Sunday when we gather together and whenever we gather together, we open up this book and we try to to receive instructions from our God about how we should live. And I trust that you open your heart to have the Holy Spirit work in your life and to help you to be obedient to it. Moses was a leader that understood the importance of a nation going back to their written instructions. In the New Testament, we are not a nation, but we are a holy body of Christ. But the same dynamic is important. The same importance of regularly meeting together and reading the Word of God pertains under the New Covenant as well as the Old Covenant. It says, when all of Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read the law before them in all their hearing. I want you to see how many came. It said, oh, and, and the group that came in verse 12. Assemble the people. I want you to assemble the men. So all the men needed to gather together to hear the law of Moses taught. The men were there. Notice what else it says. It says, the men and the women... The women as well. This is back in the supposedly the, the ancient time when we were supposed to live in such a patriarchal society when, when the women didn't amount to anything. And I want every one of the precious sisters in the body of Christ to realize that even back here at the very beginning of God's revelation, you are placed alongside of the men as having a responsibility to hear the word of God taught. Very important. I want you to to see how your Father in Heaven 
acknowledges your importance in this gathering. And he acknowledges how important it is that you be exposed to the teaching of the Word of God. Down through the centuries, many even, you know, in Judaism they forgot that. And also in Christianity sometimes we forget that. And so I think it's very important to see at the beginning of the founding of this Israelite nation, the men gathered, but so did the women. The women needed to hear the instructions of God just as the men needed to hear the instruction of God. I want you to read what's the next group that's there. Not only the men are there, not only the women that are there, who else is there? The children. I want to talk to you about that for a minute. One of the things that I want to just encourage, I want to stress it, because I believe it's probably the most important responsibility we have to pass on the teaching of the Word of God to the next generation. I can't tell you how many adults... Men and women that are in their late 20s, in their early 30s, that as we open up and as they come to me with the problems of life and they're sharing with me about what they're facing, many of those, many of those adults are telling me, David, I've never heard this before. No one ever instructed me. Nobody ever, ever told us God's plan for a marriage. God never told us God's plan about finances. God never told us his plan and for how to find his will and to know how to find direction and what he wanted us to do day by day. Nobody ever really taught us like that. Church was kind of a place where we heard nice stories. We never really opened the word of God and studied it. We never heard that as children. And I want to stress to you how important it is that we realize that God wants the children to be instructed. But I also want you to notice something else. The children were not just gathered alone. Did you notice that? Who were the children with? Who were the children with? The men are there, the women are there, and who else is there? The children are there. And I want to tell you something. Our society is moving rapidly away from any kinds of meetings when children are with adults. And I want to just share with you, like, I don't have an axe to grind about it. It's one of these areas that we need to really think through together. I understand that, that little legs get really tired. And I know that a lot of you as parents, you know, you wrestle with, I even watch some of you holding your kids, and, 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 and it's, it's really a difficult time for you. But I also want you to know something. It's very important for there to be times when a family, when a dad and mom and their children can all be together. Probably the thing that I know the best is my own life experience. I was raised, mom and dad, I was raised going to religious Bible teaching services more than any of you could ever imagine. My dad was an evangelist. He took me on the road with him. I was in one, we would go on meetings all week long. I would spend my spring break from school going on the road with my dad sometimes and hearing him preach hour after hour after hour. I remember as a little kid, I remember my dad used to have a radio broadcast on Saturday night. Every Saturday night, there were 1,000 to 1,500 kids that would gather in A.P. Simpsons, the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. He had a church in, in downtown Manhattan called the Gospel Tabernacle. And every single Saturday, for as long as I can remember, my dad took me to that service with my whole family. And my legs would kill me. Kids, you know what I'm talking about? I would be sitting there and my legs would begin to tingle and they would begin to just kill me. And I just had to get up and I'd squirm. And, I, and sometimes my mom even took me out and we walk up and down Broadway and then we come back in. But I want to share something with you. You know, a lot of what I teach you 
comes from the stories that my dad taught me when nobody thought I was listening. In fact, I would say that like my, the underpinnings of almost all of my life, the underpinnings of almost all that I'm committed to were laid out to me by my dad in hearing him preach hour after hour from the time that I was just a little tiny baby until I went away from home at 13 to go to school down in Florida. I'm just sharing with you from my own heart as a daddy. I know sometimes they color and everything else, but there's something to gathering together as a family and all hearing the word of God together. And don't underestimate what those little guys learn. Because the foundation of my faith was laid. And I can talk with Jonathan and Joel and I hear them, even when they speak orally, there's many things that they've been exposed to from the time they were just little boys that's come out. I want to stress again, though, we need to be very sensitive. We don't want church to be boring. We don't want it to be an agonizing time. And so we all need to be open and interactive about what's the best way to train our children. I think there needs to be a balance. Sometimes they have programs that are especially designed for them. Biblically, though, there needs to be times in our gathering together where we gather as families and we listen to the Word of God. To be fair, evidently in Israel, I did it every seven years, and as a kid, I could handle about every seven years you know, to listen to a long sermon. So, but I want you to think about that. In old Israel, they did gather together as families. They didn't just do it at the year of release either. They did it on a weekly basis in their synagogues as well. I want you to see the men, women, and children, the aliens living in their towns. They invited the people that were visiting with them. And I would encourage you to be a church family that invites people to come out, people that move in. They're kind of aliens. They're aliens to us. So we need to reach out to them. I want you to see that Moses uh, encouraged the people to have no strangers. The aliens were invited as well to come and to hear the teaching of the Word of God. Why? So that they can listen and they can learn. They can listen and learn to reverence the Lord. This is verse 12. So they can listen and learn to reverence the Lord your God. Carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it. And they will learn to reverence, to respect, to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Moses is really concerned for all of us to understand what it is to fear the Lord. All the way through the book of Deuteronomy, the fear of the Lord has been the bottom line that Moses comes back to again and again and again. And I want every one of you to realize that the fear of the Lord doesn't mean that you feel that God's a boogeyman that's going to that's knock you dead in the dark somewhere. It doesn't mean that God is some mean ogre. But I want you to realize also that it, that it does mean that God cannot be trifled with, that he cannot be messed with, that he needs to be respected. One of the dominant things that's going to come out in Moses' song as we study it together Moses is going to teach the people about the fear of the Lord. You know what the people are going to do? The people are going to not take the fear of the Lord very seriously. The people are going to say, well, I can, I can disobey him. I don't have to pay attention to his instructions. I don't have to listen to what Moses said. In fact, the, the major thing that Moses is going to communicate in this song is that as you guys get into the land, as you become prosperous, as the Lord begins to bless you, as, as God begins to work in your life, you're going to forget him. You're going to forget all about his instructions. You're going to fail to follow him. And he's going to say that because you fail to follow his instructions, because you don't respect him, because you don't honor him, because you don't pay attention to him, you're going to be hurt very seriously because he is someone to be feared. 
Last night I spoke to a bunch of, of married couples that are interested in getting their marriages closer together, and I used an illustration about rock climbing. I shared with them about you know being in midlife crisis, and while I was up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, uh, a friend of mine that I've known for many years invited me to go rock climbing over about 30 miles west, and we threw a rope over a 150-foot cliff and rappelled down. And then they said, now climb up. So we did that. And then we hooked another 150 feet on, threw it over the rest of the cliff, and we went down, rappelled down 300 feet. And he said, now, Dave, I want you to climb up this 300-foot cliff. And I want to tell you something about when, when you're with a guy that you're rock climbing. When you know that in just about five minutes... That, if, that you're going to be suspended about 75 feet above the ground and then 150 feet, and then you're going to be over 300 feet down. And the guy says, I want you to use this little device. And the little device he showed me when we're going to climb up 300 feet is called a jamar. And it's a little yellow plastic thing that you can hook onto the rope and you can free climb and take some of the slack out of your rope and then you can slide it up and it won't pull back. In other words, if you yank on it, it'll hold. It'll hold you. And so here we have a 300-foot rope coming off a straight cliff, straight up, and you start climbing. Now he said, now Dave, at the bottom of the mountain, he said this. Dave, this will not slide back. The Shamar, it really will work. And you can hold it. In other words, if you want to rest, if you get halfway up and you want to sit in a crack, just hold on tight to that. But I want to tell you something. If you twist it this way, now, and then he looked at me and says, now, Dave, listen to me. Well, I want to share something with you. I really listened to him. <laughs> he said, when you're going up, if you get careless and you twist that jamar a little bit this way, it'll jump out of the rope. The rope will jump out of that socket and you'll just be free on the mountain. It will not hold you up. You'll just jump it right out of the rope. Well, I want to share something with you. I followed his instructions. When I got 150 feet up in the air and I'm looking down and it's just straight down into granite boulders and I'm looking for these little bitty ledges and little bitty crags I can hang on and every time I slid it up, man, I slid that baby up real carefully every time. I feared not listening to what my friend said. Why did I fear it? Because if I didn't follow the instructions, I would be dead, literally. I'm not kidding. It wasn't a ride at Six Flags. It was the real thing. I kept saying to these guys, you guys, you sure you won't come down and get me if, if I have some problem? They said, no, we will not come down and get you. It's more dangerous for us to come down and get you. You just do what we tell you to do and you'll be fine. It was an incredible thing. Life and death is on the line. You follow instructions. I want every one of you to know, Moses is saying, what we're studying in the Word of God today, your life and your death is on the line. If you follow the instructions of what God is saying in his word, you can slide it up that rope and you can yank back and it'll hold you up. It'll protect you. You won't fall into the precipice. But I guarantee every one of you, if you disobey the moral instructions of Moses, if you disobey the heartbeat of what we're trying to teach you from the word of God, you need to fear it. One of the things that I want to do as your pastor teacher, if I could only put in you the fear of the Lord, so that you would be protected. One of the things that maybe we can do some, I think rock climbing would be good for a whole lot of you to do. Because a whole lot of you have never learned to follow instructions. You've never learned to respect someone in authority. And when you're out rock climbing and you don't know how to do it, and you're with someone that does, you have got to learn fast to obey. 
You have got to learn fast to listen. You've got to learn fast to follow instructions because life and death is right on the edge. One slip, one mistake, and there's no second time around. Thankfully, the Lord doesn't usually do that to us in life. Usually, the Lord lets you slide on the rocks quite a bit. He lets you scrape your elbows and he lets you, he lets you slide a few feet and then he catches you. But don't take him for granted. You start disobeying his instructions like the children of Israel did. And you could really get in very serious crisis, purport, uh, danger. That's what Moses is saying. He wants these people to learn to follow carefully so that they will know this law, that they will learn to reverence the Lord your God so that they will be able to live long in the land that the Lord has planned for you. I want every one of you to know that God wants every young person, if the Lord Jesus tarries, to live a long, happy, meaningful life. Following his instructions increases the probability of that. Disobeying his instructions can lead to failure. And that's what Moses brings out in verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, Now the day of your death is near. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. And what you want to picture here is kind of like a small goatskin tent that evidently Moses would set up outside of the camp of Israel. The book of Exodus talks to us about this. And Moses periodically would go out to this tent of meeting. And what he would do is he would sit in the tent and the tent would guard him from the glory of God. And it says that the glory of God, or what's called the Shekinah presence of God, a, a kind of an, an immediate, glowing, radiant revelation of God would come right at the entrance of the tent. And God would talk to Moses. The scripture says that God talked to Moses like a friend. So Moses would go to this tent of meeting and he would receive this, what you might call, what even the Old Testament calls, this face-to-face communication with God. And Moses would periodically have these times of one-on-one with God. What we're doing in this paragraph here is, is Joshua is going to be the next leader of Israel. Joshua is going to be the one that when Moses dies, takes the people into the promised land. And what God wants to show all of Israel is that just as Moses was guided by the immediate revelation of God, Joshua as well is going to be able to hear the voice of God, is going to be able to talk with God. In fact, the book of Exodus says that often Moses would go to that tent of meeting with Joshua And when Moses left, Joshua would stay. So early in the ministry of Joshua, he was learning to spend alone times with God and listen to his voice. And in verse 15, it says, The Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood over the entrance of the tent. You see the scene? And the Lord said to Moses, now what the Lord is going to talk to him about this time is the Lord is going to give him a revelation of what's going to happen to this people in future generations. In other words, the Lord's going to kind of give him a panorama of the history of Israel. Look what he says. He said, then the Lord said to Moses, you are going to rest with your fathers. In other words, Moses, you're going to die, and yet your death is only going to be sleep. Right here in the Old Testament, it calls death rest. Only God can call death rest. For us, death is a curse, it's a separation, it's spooky, it's dark. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible thing. 
But when we're in God, when we're in Christ, when we know about the resurrection, and even way back here, God the Father knew about all those, that great truth, that great hope that would come. He's able to tell Moses, Moses, you're going to get ready to die, but you will rest with your fathers. That means that you'll be fellowshipping with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all those saints that had gone before. God gave Moses the assurance that he would rest, not be destroyed, not be hurt, not be separated from God, but he would rest with his fathers. If you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've come to believe in him, if you've depended upon the fact that he died for you and he rose again, throwing this into the New Testament context, then death no longer needs to be the boogeyman of the night. You can rest and you can know that there's a confidence, that there's a hope that will transcend even the grave. But Moses is going to rest with his fathers, and these people, what's going to happen to them? Notice what it says. What's the next word there? These people will what? Soon, read it to me, these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign god of the land. They will forsake me, and they will break the covenant I made with them. On that day, I will forsake them. I will hide my face from them, and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and difficulties will come upon them. On that day they will ask, Have not these disasters come upon us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face on that day because of all the wickedness in turning to other gods. What's the prediction about what's going to happen to Israel? What's Moses telling these people they're going to do? And he uses the word they're going to become prostitutes. And, I, and that, the word prostitute usually stands for a woman that sells her body for sex and she gets money, she gets payment for it. What we learn in, that in, the, in the Old Testament, they use the word for a woman that doesn't necessarily accept payment for her sexual services, but she just pours herself into immorality. You see, in ancient Israel, there were two systems. There's two systems of thought. Moses represented a commitment to a father like God. A God that created them. A God that made them. A God that chose them to be his nation. That's what the Song of Moses is going to celebrate. It's about a God who has very strong moral standards. We've learned the moral standards. The first commandment is, he's the only God. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. You shall not make unto you any graven images. Don't ever make physical objects that you bow before. Don't ever worship material things because you were built to follow the spiritual one. You were built for something bigger than just things. You were meant to worship the almighty spirit, the ultimate being in all the universe, who's Yahweh God, the Father God. You were taught in the Holy Word that you're to take a rest one day a week at least. Because God wants you to take a break. He doesn't want you to feel that your whole existence depends upon you. He wants you to be able to get off the treadmill. He wants you to be able to stop for a while and praise Him. And you're able to open your heart and love God and, and tell God what He means to you. You're able to, to let Him bring rest to your soul. You're able to talk to Him about all the stresses of life. That's what this day off is. This day of worship is. He also talked about our family relationship. He says, don't commit adultery. In other words, if you're in a marriage covenant, if you're in a, in a relationship where there's come a time in your life where you've fallen in love with a man or a woman, he says, don't commit adultery. In other words, don't let another voice come in. Don't let someone else come into that relationship 
that causes you to leave the one that you promised your life to to follow after them. He says, don't steal. He says, don't steal. Don't go into a store or, or don't, uh, don't be a thief that takes things that don't belong to you. He talks about don't bear false witness. Don't, don't slander people. Don't gossip. All of these things. And I want every one of you to know that that's the way God is. God hasn't changed those basic standards. Right now in your culture... Just like Israel, you face, on one hand, there's following this Father God. He has revealed His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know now that, that the Messiah has come, and His name is what? His name is Jesus Christ. You know that He paid the penalty for your sin. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again on the third day. And, and many of you have come to the place where you have trusted in Him. You've built your life on Him. That's this one side. That's the Father's side. And that's following the covenant God of Israel and our covenant God. But Moses is very much aware of the prostitute side, the immoral side. Moses understands that in your human life, there are tremendous passions that work in your heart. That's what Moses is concerned about. In other words, there are tremendous forces inside of you that want to get you to disobey. As a junior high student goes into the middle school at, in sixth grade, in sixth grade, not many of the kids drink. If you were to take the, a poll of all the sixth graders, some of them talk about it, some of them joke about it, some of their parents have given them a swallow once in a while, but the truth of the matter is that not many of the sixth graders, for the most part, drink. But sixth grade begins to develop. Adolescence begins to really mature. In seventh grade, a few more drink. And a few more stories. By eighth grade, the locker room of both men and women begins to sound like the adult room. By the time you get up in high school, a cynicism begins to get a hold of even the good kids. You see, what begins to happen is a whole lot of the kids that are trying to live a good life, that have believed in the Lord Jesus and have trusted Him, they're trying to hold their own. In other words, they don't get smacked after a football game on Friday. They don't get in the bus and tank it down, you know, and, and get soused after they lost. But they're just kind of holding their own, and it's like they're trying to fight against the flood. One of the things that makes it really hard is that they begin to notice that a lot of the adults that talk about these standards, a lot of the adults that talk about what's going on and how they need to live a good life and how they need to be moral, they begin to hear stories that some of the adults that they're supposed to really look up to, they drink a little bit too much too. And they take some drugs every once in a while too. Or they suddenly find out that, that one of their adult leaders ran off with someone else's wife. Now, a lot of you are you're, you're beginning to feel, oh, well, this is a brand new thing. In the 50s, none of that happened. Oh, yes, it did. In the 20s, it happened. In the 1890s, it happened. In the 1750s, it happened. It happened way back here. This always happens. In other words, life hasn't really changed that much. There's those two pulls on your life. There's a pull here that represented what makes us really aware of this. If Sandy experienced a terrible tragedy of what can happen, her dear sister Andy grew up in Duncanville. She grew up just like a lot of you kids. You know your culture really well. Andy went to Duncanville. 
And she was the beautiful girl on the drill team. And she was talented as you could be, an artist, great, and just tremendous, all kinds of talents, loved by people. A tomboy one minute, she could hunt, she could fish, she knew how to work, she loved driving pickup trucks. There's only one problem. Andy had some of those things that began to pull on her. She had some, some things that she was introduced to in that high school scene that were strong. Some of the things I've been talking to you, that's why this is so real to me. I want you to understand that what this mosaic stuff is not just ancient stuff. Because Andy didn't have a chance. I don't think, saying, I don't think Andy ever sat in a church where they really taught the Bible. In other words, church for Andy was kind of a nice cultural thing, and her mom and dad didn't really take them. They kind of went out with friends. Well, I want you to know at 31 years of age, those forces became too strong. And Andy's gone today. That's why Moses is so concerned. I want the kids to realize. It looks like, oh, I can play around a little bit. I can get into the party scene and I can drink and I can be a little bit sexually immoral and I can pop a few pills and and I can wander away from God and, and this Jesus thing can be just a surface thing. No, it can't. You're going to make a choice. Because what you know what Moses is telling us? Moses is telling us there's no such thing as a spiritual vacuum. I'm going to say that again. I want all of you to realize. Moses is proclaiming to you there's no such thing as a spiritual vacuum. There's no in-between. Your life can be filled with God's love, with respect for him, with his authority, reverencing him. Your life can be filled with Jesus. Your life can be filled with with what he's done for you. Your life can be filled with his word and you will live. Or your life, if it's empty, will be filled with dark forces that are beyond your control. I want you to know that. Just as certainly as I told that story about climbing a cliff, you're all on that cliff. If you follow the instructions, you can climb all the way to the top and God will welcome you home forever and ever. But if you don't follow with instructions, your life could be cut short. If you've trusted in the Son of God, you will never be lost eternally. That's the great hope that we have. It's by grace that we've been saved by faith. And that's the incredible mercies of God. You can really mess it up badly. And the blood of Jesus Christ covers it all. But life can be cut short. Because you slip. Because you give in to those forces. Moses realizes that his people are going to have adulterating tendencies. I have those tendencies in my own heart. After like, going to that Texas game, I shared with you last week, all this week, I hear all those dirty words. And when something goes wrong, it's right in the center of my mind. I'm just like you. Mary and I have lived together, and I've been committed to her, and I love her, and I love her more today than I ever could. But I want you to know there's a dark side in me. And I want all of you to know that I could be like all the other pastors that you've heard about that slip, because those passions are inside of me. When I'm all by myself, and I'm on the road, and I'm put in certain circumstances, I'm just like all of you businessmen out there, just like you. And I have to make choices, just like you have to make choices. Every one of you are going to make choices this week. And I want you to realize that your pastor, teacher, I am just exactly like you. That's what the Word of God is telling us. That's what Moses... Moses is an older man that's getting ready to go into eternity. And he's just telling it the way it really is. He says, you are going to adulterate yourself. 
There's a part of me that remembers the promise I made to Mary. That's, I'm going to use this illustration because that's what Moses is talking about. He says, Dave, there's a part of you that remembers promises. There's a part of you that remembers faithfulness. There's a part of you that remembers purity. There's a part of you that, that follows God's instruction. But there's a dark side that can think that life will be found in doing the crazy thing, in doing the passionate thing that, that, that just suddenly overwhelms you. And Moses tells the children of Israel, Israel, you're going to do that. You're going to prostitute yourselves away from God. You know why Moses told them that? Because Moses felt, maybe if I tell them that, there will be an individual. There will be somebody in that large mass of people. There will be a child. There will be a teenager. There will be an adult that will listen. And instead of prostituting themselves, they'll remain pure. You're going to have to make that decision. You know, Moses is very realistic about human nature. Moses realized, like if I think back, a whole lot of people that I've taught through the years, they've prostituted themselves. The hardest thing in the pastor, the thing that kills me, more than anything else, people ask me, what gets you in the pastor? It's the people that don't follow the instructions. One person that doesn't follow the instructions, and I'm wiped out, for months. There can be 150, 200 others, couples and everyone else, that listen. And one person that slips and falls makes me want to quit. It really does. Because it hurts to see. It hurts to see the pain. And sometimes I can almost see the delusion come over you. And that's the way Moses felt. But Moses is a great prophet of hope because he knows with, maybe if I tell you the truth, maybe if I warn you, Maybe if I warn you about the crash that could be there, some of you will say, nope, I'm not going to prostitute myself. Everyone else in school is going to start sipping the, you know, sipping the beers. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be different. I don't care if everyone else does it, the wrong thing. I'm going to decide how I want to live, live my life. I know no one else is a virgin, but I'm going to be a virgin because that's what God says. He says, I need to be morally pure. That's what I'm going to be. I'm not going to give in to that spirit of unfaithfulness. And mom and dad, don't just sit there as we close and say, well, that's all for the kids, because we hold the key. The problem is not the kids, it's us. 99.9% of the time, if adults follow what Moses teaches them and, and obey God's moral commandments, 99.9% .9 of the time, if the parents do that, the kids will do it. Because like father, like son, like daughter, like mother. And so we're all in this together. Moses told the children of Israel, you're going to prostitute yourselves. But you know what? In the history of Israel, some of them did not. And that's what I'm going to believe for you. Some of you will not either, and you will live. You can make the choice to build your life through the power of Christ on his commands, or you can choose to turn away from him. We're going to be developing this song that I told you about remembering. In chapter 32, we'll go in studying then. We're going to look carefully at this song. It's a very powerful song that was just introduced that Moses is going to sing to all these people that just summarizes all these points about God's faithfulness, his love, the people's tendency to turn aside, and the need for us to come back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need to expose ourselves as we started out today to the reading of your word. We've just done that. We've read about this stirring scene when Moses spoke to these people and he challenged them to regularly gather together to read your word. I pray that 
that we will continue through the years to gather together and open up this book and discuss it together, apply it to our lives, and learn the instructions, Lord. Father, we've also learned today that Moses was a realist. He knew the hardness of people's hearts, and he knew what the history of Israel would be. And he knew that their hearts, many of their hearts, would turn away from following you as the true God. He knew many of them would be overwhelmed by a spirit of unfaithfulness, a spirit of impurity, a spirit of dirtiness. And it would just kind of overwhelm them because they would make choices to meddle with it and to begin to worship other gods. I'd ask you today, Lord, help each one of us to make a commitment to have our hearts centered in you alone, to not have a divided heart, but to deepen our soul that our entire commitment would be to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and help us to reverence you. I pray that we'll listen to your instructions, that we'll follow them very carefully, that we will obey. And Lord, I just would pray that you would counteract the human tendency, the natural tendency for us to be unfaithful. And I pray that by the power of your spirit that you would produce a sweet faithfulness so that we will live.